We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers climbed back to 500 yesterday with a fun win, 127 to 110 over the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, The first half was a strange half of basketball. I don't mean that in a good way or a bad way necessarily. It was just an odd half. And Lakers were up 55 to 53 at the break. Uh, Anthony Davis came out really strong at the beginning. Luca responded in the second quarter with a 14-point quarter of his own. Lakers up two at halftime. Then the Lakers starters in the third quarter go on one of the best, if not the best, offensive run any group has gone on this season. They score 29 points in the first like 620 of the third quarter, end up scoring 42, 43 points in that third quarter. Really get some separation there, D, and close it out in the fourth quarter. Dallas never challenged them. There has been such a sense over these last couple of games of things clicking into place that I'm really excited. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. There needs to be a little more uh, sample of it. But one thing with the starters in particular, D, is that I think it's important for a five-man group to be good at something. Just have an identity. It could be a defensive group, and this is a group where, yeah, maybe we struggle a little in our our half court offense, but we're you're, we're going to be really tough to score on. Or you can be a ball movement group, which I think is at the spirit of what that five can be. I thought LeBron was excellent both as a role man and on the ball, um, and. AD has become much more of the center of the offense that we run. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on the game, D, but seeing the Lakers go on that type of offensive run and the level of coordination, I'm really excited about that. And this is what I was hoping for out of January, what I was despondent about (laughs) about a week ago. And right at that point where I I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get this, seeing it really start to click into place. It's just, it's great to see. Yeah, it's interesting because it was a great game. It was a fun game. Normally, the type of offensive run that you're talking about is based off of defense. And we've seen the Lakers make offensive runs like that born out of like defensive stops and turnovers and hustle and really sort of like overwhelming teams with physicality and force and speed and athleticism. And this wasn't that at all. It was like a skill game. Mm -hmm. And Mike, when Darvin talked about 
the change to this starting lineup after the OKC game, he he led with skill around LeBron and AD. And this is an idea that we've been talking about on the pod for a couple of years and what led into our excitement after last season's trade deadline when the trade of Russ led to D'Lo and Austin's elevation within the rotation. And it's like, aha, here are the skill guys. I'm still interested to see how this group holds up physically when teams test them more. Mm -hmm. But I think the point that you were making last night, Mike, about it's not like the Lakers got rid of all their physicality. They have simply moved it to the reserve unit. And that idea of identity that Pete mentioned with the starters, the bench group has an identity as well. And that sort of shift in tone, it's not the same shift, but it sort of reminds me of those bench mob teams of like the 2008, 2009 Lakers, Pete, where you had these groups with that would start big with like... um with Powell and Bynum and they were more methodical Kobe and Fish and then off the bench here comes like Sasha and Farmar and Odom and there was a bit more flair to to the game and they played faster Mike the lake this Lakers team is a little bit more of the opposite where it's more of a skill game at the start but then in comes Vando in comes Max in comes Rui and suddenly it's size and it's athleticism and it's a little bit more force and physicality and more defense and this mix seems to be working for the Lakers and I thought those bench groups really did a good job of sort of making the Mavericks pay for being a little bit more skilled on their second unit. Like it was a little bit of of a cat and mouse game and the Lakers were a step ahead, particularly in the second half, the rest of the game. And Dallas was never able to find their footing, I thought. Yeah, I, I want to separate the Dallas game uh, first and just, just give a, a couple seconds on that and then get to kind of what this means in context with them also beating OKC and some different lineups. But so that third quarter, after what Pete mentioned is the weird first half, the Lakers starters scored 40 points. Uh, they got two points from Jared Vanderbilt on free throws and then 40 points from the starters. So D'Lo hit three threes. He had 11. AD was four for seven with four free throws. He had 12. Uh, LeBron had nine. Prince had six. Austin had, a, had two with a couple of assists. And how did they do it? Well, threes were certainly a big part of it. They were five for six. And then Dallas uh, couldn't hit a shot. They ended up getting one late, uh, but I think Grant Williams banked in a three uh, to finish the quarter, but they were three for 12. And so, yes, it was like the the offense and the skill finally all looked like a great offense with skill. And I think that it helped that Dallas was playing a lineup that had Tim Hardaway Jr., who's usually their six man um, as their three. And then, you know, Luca Kyrie with Derek Jones Jr., who was a small four and then lively, you know, a rookie who actually only played three minutes because um, then he got into some foul trouble. And uh, so it was like that matchup particularly allowed for the skill to, I think, really move Dallas around the court. And I they didn't, and yet they weren't going to be as susceptible to offensive rebounding or, you know, getting hammered on the other end um, because that's one of the smaller teams when they're as banged up as they are. So in OKC is also a small team and it's another team that couldn't really hurt the Lakers and their skill team. So I, 
I do think, though, it's even if you did play against a team like that, that's fine. You can spread them out for those first couple minutes and then come in with your size, even if you have to bring a Vanderbilt in early or a Hachimura early or a Wood. Like, I, Pete, that, that's the thing that I like about this is that, yes, these two matchups, I think, happen to help. But against a team that's bigger and more physical, say in Minnesota, um, I don't think that this team can't match up with that either. So I'm curious how you how you pull these threads together, um, these two games, the lineup, the nine man rotation and what encouraged you. Yeah, I think this is something that it's kind of the difference between regular season basketball and playoff basketball. So Minnesota is a great example of a team that I think would be very difficult for this starting five to handle. But if we played them in a playoff series, I think we'd probably start a little bit differently. Um, same may be true if we played a Dallas team in in a playoff type of setting. That said, though, individual groups having their identity. And you asked a great question of LeBron of this after the game yesterday, where you're talking about, yeah, we talk a lot about the starters, but it seems like the bench groups are starting to get a rhythm. And he was talking about how that was the case and how they're getting used to playing with each other. Guys are coming in at, you know, at the same time. Cam being out of the lineup it seems to have locked different units into roles where it, it seems like it's worth staying on that track. And so having that starting group that has that skill, I really want to focus on them just for a little bit, D, because this was the group to start the season. And they didn't look like this on offense. And part of it is because they're running the offense so much better. Um, just one, a couple of things. The degree to which we're playing through AD out of the post, the degree to which we're, last night we started the game running a lot of pin downs for AD. So usually this is like a wide pin down action where the player starts in the corner. AD was more often starting in like the dunker spot, but LeBron would set a, a down screen for him and AD would curl off of it. I think the first bucket of the game was AD hitting a jumper off of that because Lively went way under it. He just took what the defense gave him, knocked it down. Second bucket, AD's in the post. Debo sets a pin screen for Torian and then slips off of it. AD reads it, gets a nice little layup. And so there's weak side action on a lot of our sets. Our running lanes in particular, and this was the, the big thing where I was like, we're not getting any production out of our early offense type of sets. We're running into like double drag screens a lot more. And so that sets up a double gap. And so we did that a ton in this Dallas game. D'Lo, we really need to talk about D'Lo and his importance. That's been the big shift, D, in terms of you go from Cam Reddish in the starting lineup to D'Angelo Russell. That's a wild swing on the offensive end in terms of being able to read and the skill to capitalize on situations. And so, and Pete, just him looking totally different from the stretch that he had about a month ago that was rough and looking more like the guy that they got at the trade deadline. When D'Lo's on, we're an entirely different tier of team. It's not even just that he makes us better. It he makes us better D in such a way that this team exactly needs that it's also part of the reason why if he falls off, we're also a completely different team out of nowhere. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, let's take a quick break here. Come back, talk a little more about the starters, talk about uh, and, and D'Lo in particular. So one of my goals right now is to eat better, but in the thick of the NBA season, that can be hard to do. So I recently joined Factor, and Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service to help me do that. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. 
And you can enjoy the extra convenience at any time of day with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Head to Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 and use code LakerFilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code LakerFilm50 at Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 to get 50% off. So Darwin called him, I think, something like a phenomenal talent or something to that effect when talking about D'Lo. And that's exactly what he is. The Lakers are now, what, D'Lo's fifth team? Fourth team? He's been traded multiple times, but he's made an all-star game. He is really good at basketball. And the fact that he moves around a lot isn't necessarily indicative of how good he can be when he's at his peak level. And there's stuff that he's doing now within the context of the offense that as much as we can look at the 29 points that he scored last night or the 39 he got against the Jazz or the level of which his production is there, to me, Pete, the stuff that's standing out is like all of the little things that D'Lo is doing. The bucket that you highlighted there where he's setting all kinds of screens and then he's slipping out of screens. He is setting flare screens. He's setting pin screens. He is like screening and moving and cutting into open spaces. He is embodying five out offensive principles within how he's playing the game. And it's helping to grease the wheels of the Lakers offense. There was a play that I spoke to you guys about last night where D'Lo flashed out to get the ball. The Lakers run like this sort of like um, almost like three man weave type of cut at the top of the key before they start their action. Right. And D'Lo came up to get the ball. He saw that he was being partially denied, but not really. He could have taken two more steps out and gotten the pass. But he's like, that's not where I'm supposed to catch the ball. So he just back cut. When he back cut, that triggers a whole nother thing. And what that triggered was Austin coming to set up a ball screen with LeBron. So he sets that ball screen, short roll at Austin, Austin gets the ball, and then he gets a layup while D'Lo already cleared to the opposite corner and started the wheel, right? And it's like that sort of bang, 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 like we're flowing from action to action to action, Pete. That's the sort of stuff that the Lakers were not doing even a month ago and definitely not at the beginning of the season where Austin looked lost. And a bunch of players looked lost. Everyone was driving into five people and turning the ball over on every other possession. It looked like trash. And we were like, what the hell is this team doing? They don't look like they understand anything. And now, at least these last couple of games, it looks like the light bulb has flickered on for them and they understand now. Is it fixed? Uh, You know, we're on the right track offensively for the first time. And it's it's been a a quantum leap really over the last week or two. And these type of actions that, that Dee's talking about, the scouting report on our guards in particular is to be physical with them. Get up into Delo's jersey, get up into Austin, right? Use your size and athleticism to play ball denial, to play ball pressure. And so one of the things about five out basketball in particular is that I think it's a more intellectual type of basketball and that you're making more reads than you do in four out style spacing. And all those pin screens, those flare screens, but also that cutting over plays, one of the things that as you're teaching uh, read and react type of offense is that if you're getting ball denied, if, if there's ball denial on you and you don't back cut, you actually shut off that side of the court and you end up getting kind of pushed out toward closer to, to half court if you don't back cut that. And so 
Devo does all of this stuff all the time in terms of making reads, of setting those screens, cutting through, but even something as simple as back cutting an overplay and flowing through to the other side, that's what opens up a side of the court for an Anthony Davis. You've also pointed out, D, and I've really noticed this since you pointed it out, that Dito has added a level of pace to the offense, which is not something that you think about with D'Angelo Russell, that he's a guy that, that plays with pace. But there were some pick and rolls in particular early in the season where Dito threw the right pass, but AD didn't like, quite roll hard enough, or there were some misconnections on alley-oops, but it was actually Dito made the correct play, but it was just more AD, you got to roll all the way into that. And their level of chemistry and the degree that Dito looks for Anthony Davis, Mike, I think has become something that is essential to the identity that this team is becoming, which is more of an Anthony Davis team. And I think that on the offensive end, having a guard kind of ignite Anthony Davis. Rondo was a guy who who did this both here and in New Orleans. Uh, you know, LeBron obviously when they when they have their connection and LeBron is uh, is running point. Dilo being of that vein and being like, I'm going to get you going, big guy, is something that I think is super essential. And so, talk to me what, what you're seeing about Dilo, Mike. There, there's something that has shifted in his just general, just his energy. And he is much more engaged, I think, than the period that he had where, call it whatever you want, a slump. And Darvin Ham talked about this after the game. This does happen to most players, to most people. Um, other than for this season, Anthony Davis, like, is he the only one that hasn't had a rough patch at some point? Uh, even LeBron has had some dips here and there. And so it doesn't really matter that much about uh, like kind of what it was other than that he he has come out of it in a I think I think now that the lineup is set as it is here. Let me rephrase this. I think that I was kind of deciding how much of this to to share. But I like D'Angelo obviously talked to Darvin. Okay, like they sat down and D'Angelo, I don't think was exactly understanding what he was what they wanted him to do and when and how and relative to the way that he saw what his role could be and what it was last season. And I think that that's a credit to Darvin Ham for wanting to have that conversation uh, and and to D'Lo. And they clearly figured something out. And D'Lo felt better about what Darvin wanted from him and about where he was going to be. And I think that his coming back into the starting lineup, which was the right decision, you know, based on what his skill set is and how he plays around the other guys. Uh, and I think that went a long way towards exciting Russell about, you know, how things were going to work. And he's a player that he does wear his emotions on his sleeve. Like he does, it does matter to him um, how he feels like it does for many people. Some people are cyborgs and are going to go and get the job done no matter what happens. Um, I don't think that he's that way. So that's, that's the D'Lo part of it. And the basketball, I think, is almost secondary. Like D'Lo understands the basketball. He does. Uh, he's smart. He, he gets what what to do and when. Um, and I just think that he he likes to feel like it's all going in, in the one direction. So that's the Russell part of it. And it, it was Pete, before you you kind of prompted me on D'Lo there and, and feel free to get back to it. I was going to pivot a little bit to Anthony Davis. And I know you also probably want to get to Austin Reeves at some point. But, you know, A.D., 11 assists at Utah. And then in this game, he has nine through the th- through the third quarter. He's handling double teams to the point where LeBron said after the game that he thinks that teams are going to stop doubling AD at some point because of how good how good of the looks are that they're starting to get off of those doubles. And I wanted to kick that to you then, Darius, uh, who, you know, my fellow Anthony Davis proper upper 
Um, and has something like what specifically has grown with the way outside of the obvious that he's seeing it coming and he's knowing where to kick the ball to. And in concert with his rhythm being there inside and outside his jump shot going down him getting the follow like it just seems like it's all there right now offensively um, for Anthony Davis. And that's, that's something that they are, the team has recognized and is now consist more consistently running stuff through him. And Hey, that that's good. <laughs> that's, that's how it should work. Anthony Davis, man. I don't know if there's a player in the league who is as good as him, who is not remarked upon as being as good as him consistently, like in conversation and dialogue in terms of like who the best players in the league are. Regarding the double team question, one of the simple things that he's doing, Pete, is he is turning and facing and he's just absorbing it. I've talked about this a ton with big guys in general, but I remember when Shaq first came to the Lakers. And I remember how he wasn't as good at passing out of double teams. I remember watching Tim Duncan come into the league as one of the most polished big men ever. Like he came into he came into the league as after four years in college, he came in as an all NBA level player. Basically, yeah, he would have been it's, the number one pick after his sophomore year, much less is. Yeah, much less after year. his so, senior year. Yeah. Right. Very much like Jabbar. Right. Yeah, probably like, could, the most like, polished player I've seen come into the league was was Duncan. Yeah. But even Duncan, you'd send the hard double at Duncan and he'd be spraying the ball all, all over the court. And for bigs, it and even a player like Joel Embiid, we've seen Embiid struggle with double teams and it just takes time. For these guys, I often talk about post play as being a play action quarterback. When you're running play action in football, it's like you turn your back to the entire defense and like you take a snapshot of what's going on. But when you turn back around that snapshot, is it still accurate? Is it still where it's supposed to be? And the understanding of where the defense is, where your offensive players are supposed to be and the movement and the coordination around that from snapshot to snapshot to snapshot, it takes time. And AD, it it looks to me, Pete, like it's clicking for him, both individually as like, I am more comfortable absorbing this pressure and being like, you're not going to bother me. I'm going to be strong with the ball while also understanding A, where the spacing is, B, where the cuts are coming from and C, how the defense is going to react to that spacing and and those cuts and you can see him you can see his passing reads be like skip oh no the skip is not there oh direct pass out one will will one pass away no oh over the top to the top of the key oh baseline rip where's my cutter and all of those reads are there for him and he is processing it and you just see him make the right pass and it's just like if he's going to make those reads it's like lebron said it's on us lebron saying this it's on us to make the defense pay after he makes the right read because if we reward those passes the defense is going to be like we can't do this anymore we can't continue to send the well the help at him and i think it was something like the lakers were nine out of 11 or nine out out of 12 on direct pass outs 
from AD double teams when he was in the post. And it's just like, if you're burning the defense at an 80% clip in terms of shot making, then they're not going to be able to double anymore or they're going to lose by 15 to 17 points. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, I want to talk a little more about AD in the post. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So one of the ways that defenses attack taller players is to get their feet crossed up. And that's something that has been on the scouting report for AD for a long time is that when he gets those post catches, you crowd him and you can get him off balance. And when it's that way, it's sort of like an NFL quarterback or a baseball pitcher where one of the things that they're told in their mechanics of executing their job is to step into your throw. So step toward the target that you're throwing to. And if you get a guy's legs crossed up and his momentum's kind of fading to the right, but he's passing the ball across his body, those are the times where it can be an inaccurate pass, even to the point of a turnover. And so AD is getting kind of a wider base with his feet when he's facing up. And so if you have your feet too close together, you can think about that just in physics, right? Where if you've got this really tall, high center of gravity person and their feet are close together, it's easier for them a little bump. That's not a foul by the defense, but it can get them kind of off of their balance. Well, it's like a Jenga tower, right? It's just like yeah, suddenly you, <laughs> you pull too many little things out and it's just like, oh, you're off balance now and, and you're going to tumble down. Exactly that. And 
it's also with the knowledge of guys AD size and wingspan. Once they get the ball past a certain place, you're not going to bother them. And so this is the only realm in which you can really win against them is from basically the middle of their chest down. Can you be strong against them? But also, can you get their feet crossed up? And so AD just pivoting it's it's great like pete newell big man camp type of fundamentals he's turning and facing with his feet under his shoulders and he's much more on balance like and then to credit to the coaches i think that you can one thing that's happened when ad's done that in the past along with him handling the pressure better is we often have one player on off of the ball that isn't that great of a shooter, whether it's a Cam or a Vando, and it's been other guys previous seasons. And there's been a level of intentionality lately, especially where with the cuts. And so we generally do more like cutting, diving uh, from the weak side, diving from one pass away, holding one pass away, but sliding over a couple of feet to improve the passing lane. Um, and so it, AD's reading that low man rotation, which is usually where the double team comes from really well. And so that level of intentionality with the cuts and the spacing and understanding like the guys who don't really shoot that well and needing to use that against the defense and have them find a role. Uh, I think that there's been great, great progress on, on all of those fronts. And the result is AD's, uh, AD in the post has become really effective offense for us. Pete, I'm sure you caught this uh, doing your postgame work. And Darius, I don't know if you heard LeBron's comments yet, but LeBron was asked about AD and he was like, yeah, I've been, he's been talking to me about it. And, and then everyone kind of laughed and he's like, no, for real. <laughs> like we, like we've been discussing it. And certainly LeBron knows how to handle these situations, right? He's, he, and I'd say maybe Jokic is the only other guy that's at that level um, of the combination of size and the knowledge of the game and sort of reading the floor and, and knowing where to go. So that's, that does seem to be something that I buy uh, and just a little, little talk across the locker room, their lockers are next to each other um, about handling it. But I wanted to get to Austin Reeves real quick. So plus 20 in this game, most of the starters were up there last game. He was plus nine. Austin was way below what you would have expected if you just looked at the raw plus minus heading into this game. And I think there are reasons for it, but he is now part of it's the lineup. I wanted to, to start with you on this though, though Pete, because this has been a discussion that we've been having all year about Austin and him still being really good at certain things, but not playing in the same way that he did last year. And part of that was, I think, by instruction. Part of that was by design. And it, it seems to be clicking back to uh, the Austin Reeves of last year. And, and I wondered what you noticed along those lines. I think this is part and parcel with Delo stepping into the light and like Delo is our point guard. And he's the guy that should be in that role that Austin was in earlier in the year where, and also that was, uh, there were a lot of no pass, one pass possessions where it's like, we're going to run a pick and roll into a single gap D and have our ball handler chuck up a bad shot. We're playing different stylistically at this point, but uh, it, Austin has locked into the, these last two games. I've been complaining about Austin in the text thread all year. These last two games, I'm like, yes, that guy. And on a team that, and you've brought this up a lot, D, that idea of connecting pieces, not having a ton of them on this team, Austin can be that at an elite level in a way that this team needs while also being totally able to access the him version of him, right? Where he can beat guys off of the dribble and, and get shots up, right? That's always going to be there. But I've seen him as so much of a, a better connector lately. And I thought he did a great job on Kyrie Irving 
yesterday defensively. His best role defensively is as a chaser and as a guy that if it's not a player that can really overpower him, uh, I thought he really competed well at that. He um, he did a good job on Tim Hardaway Jr. Hardaway hit a couple jumpers over him, which is going to happen to Austin. But I was just I'm thrilled with Austin's last couple of games after being pretty frustrated with him for most of the season. And so curious your thoughts on Austin, because it just felt like he's one of the big things that's clicked into place. Yeah, Austin's in the right size role at this point, and it's in the right role for for him. I keep saying I'm going to write something on Austin, and maybe this time it'll be true. I really will write something about him. I really do see Austin as a th- as like a three A or a three B option, and there are two versions of of Austin, and he's best when he can oscillate between both. And one is this connecting sort of gritty, like really sort of role player, try hard guy um, who and I don't mean that as like um, a negative con connotation at well at all. But someone who just plays with a ton of effort and is making a lot of the right basketball reads and a lot of the right basketball plays. And, and it's what endeared him to Lakers fans in the first place when he first started to play, not the guy who was taking over playoff games in the fourth quarter, right? But then there is that version of him too, the guy who can cook in one-on-one situations and make a guy fall down when he rejects a screen, when he goes behind the back, and then the guy who euros into a one-legged runner, it's just like, wait, who's this real-life Billy Hoyle character that has come to life right now? And he's both of those guys, but... Too often, the ask on him this season was to be the latter player. Like, hey, go run a unit. Go be our lead ball handler on this bench group that is just you and Anthony Davis. Or sometimes it's just you and like Christian Wood because LeBron sat out and D'Lo's missing time. And so you get to play with an all bench group and get pressured full court because you're the only ball handler. That's on the court. And earlier during the season, I thought he was misunderstanding what his reads were within the context of the offense. And it was pretty frustrating to see him go into what I called Teen Wolf mode, which was like, you've got the ball so much. And really what you're doing is you're looking for your own offense a bunch because it's in your head that seemingly, seemingly, it looks like it's in your head that the ask is for you to go get 18 to 20 points a night because that's what this team needs from you. And the thing about this Lakers team is, is, and I thought D'Lo um, was talking to you about this post game, Mike, is he's like on, and D'Lo said this a lot last year, is that any night it can be any player's night. And that's the version of this team that caters to Austin most is like one night it is going to be Austin's night and he is going to get 25 points. He is going to go eight for 14 from the field and make four threes and get to the foul line eight times because dudes were reaching in on him and and he is going to get a couple of and ones. And it's just like, oh, damn, Austin Reeves and other nights he is going to score eight points 
while being a plus 16 with two steals and four rebounds and four assists and and a charge taken and like it's just like okay well he can be that well, well that player too and asking him to be one or the other is too limiting and so I've enjoyed sort of this return this renaissance of Austin Reeves to what he's been like the last couple of years and really coming coming into his own a little bit more this season. Yeah, as you're saying that, it, it's, it has me thinking about the sport as a whole and roster builds and LeBron and AD and like what LeBron and AD do, talking about the offensive end to start, um, what they do to the defense. And like when Austin Reeves can be, and especially related to, to D'Angelo Russell playing like this and shooting and running an offense and, and then Austin Reeves, you just cannot account for what he can do while you're having to deal with those other guys. When you make it more about what was happening with the second unit where, hey, everybody, here's Austin Reeves, the primary guy with the ball. Then the other team can think, OK, we'll stick a big wing on him you know, and we'll beat him up, you know, and we'll we'll keep him in this part of the court because we don't have to worry about what's going on on the other side of the court, especially if it's, you know, if it's a reddish or um, whatever the situation is, even if it's a Torian Prince um, or somebody that can't do the type of creation that LeBron or AD um, or D'Lo can do over there. And those were a lot of the groups that Austin was in. Um, for the first portion of the year. And I think that Austin is Austin super competitive and he's always going to try and succeed in that context. And that's where I didn't, I didn't quite get to the point of the frustration, like with how he was playing, it was more about the, the groupings and the lineups and the, the, because that's that it, there is a difference between Austin Reeves and um, and, you know, somebody that really can carry an offense as the primary. Those are where those those differences between what his level of kind of athleticism and pop is, um, even from like a Dennis Schroeder, who always has that fastball of being able to just get to the rim and get around guys and then create the rotation that way. So now that Austin is back in this spot, which is closer to where he was last year, it seems to me that things are switching. Um, and and that's encouraging to see. And the part that I will acknowledge some of the, some of the frustration and I talked to Austin about this was like after the last game, hey, I, you took a charge again. Like that's what you're doing all year. Mm-hmm. And and yet, man, it's got to suck to just get elbowed in the face um, every game like oh, he was it. last year. Yeah. And but he's but like it's like that part of Austin, I think, is coming back as well. So, Pete, unless you have more Austin, I was I, I did want to get a couple quick Vanderbilt thoughts in. Um, I, I wanted think to pivot his, to Vando myself. So please. take us there. Take us there. Oh, just uh, speaking of guys getting elbowed in the face and hitting the ground. Right. If Austin ever needs in- inspiration, let's take a look at Vando. Um, he played 25 minutes, uh, 26 minutes in yesterday's game. I think Dallas is a team that because of the incredible ball handling of Luca and Kyrie begs for Vando's presence more than anybody else. Uh, that said, he is really looking like he's getting healthy again. And he reminds me, he's more of a perimeter player, but, and isn't as good. I think this guy is a hall of famer, but he's in that Dennis Rodman sort of category of he's barely ever going to score. Uh, although we had seven and shot, got to the line four times, which I thought was indicative of a level of aggression and transition. For example, he took the ball to the rim a couple times where he would have backed that out a week ago, two weeks ago, but 
his level of activity of getting through screens of just being a huge pain in the ass for perimeter players is such a difference maker. Um, we got to see a little bit of last year's starting lineup last night, and they they played okay. Uh, I didn't look up look up their numbers, but it was um, Bando. I thought his impact D was phenomenal in that game. So talk to me about what you saw from him because he's adding uh, elements to this team that I think have been sorely missed. He is healthy. I got to watch the ESPN feed, which I actually thought was like a good telecast. A lot of good information there. And one of the things that Doc Rivers said about Jared Vanderbilt, and he actually told a funny story about this for himself as well, but he said that Vanderbilt's the type of guy where he's not going to be high up on the scouting report, but what you always want from a basketball player is like, regardless of what your production is, is that at the end of the game, the other team knows your name. And he said, Jared Vanderbilt's the type of player where it doesn't matter how many points he scores. At the end of the game, you ask these dudes who that was, and they're all going to be able to tell you that he made his impact. And he's picking up guys full court. Again, LeBron mentioned that. Just his level of activity. One of the things that he does when he's healthy, and this has been there the last week or so is his constant pushing of the envelope of being in the passing lane. So when he's at his best, he is always in ball denial, but also even when he's not in ball denial, it's just like he looks like he's close enough to get his hands on an errant pass. And it makes the opposing team just a little bit uncomfortable when you see a guy that big and that athletic in terms of quick burst lurking like that. And this is honestly what's been missing from Cam's game as he's been dealing with like the growing stuff and the knee stuff is Cam has not been that same explosive athlete in the passing lanes and and as a full court player that he was in November where he was like one of the league leaders in steals. And, and so this is the part of Vando's game, Pete, where I'm just like, oh man, if he can get back to being this dude that is like running around and just chasing with seemingly endless motor and hounding a ball handler like Luca, and then also hounding a ball handler like Kyrie Irving. And then even in zone situations like he did against OKC, go from like play at the top of the zone, drop down on all of these ways that zones get maneuvered to help on the glass, but then dart back up in order to steal a cross court pass because he was in help a situation before. These are all of the parts of his game where it's just like, that's how he's going to be helpful. And this is the version of Vando that the Lakers need. 100%. I also just think that the the impact that he has specifically on LeBron and AD and then secondarily to guys like Austin and D'Lo and whoever else is in, they that energy feeds them. It just does. So I just if I have to pick between a knockdown shooter and Jared Vanderbilt to be next to LeBron specifically and, and again, put AD into there, um, I will take Vanderbilt because I just think that that LeBron can do so many things, but when he sees somebody taking care of all of that dirty work, it is a mental weight lifted um, from him. The only, the only other thing, Pete, that I was noticing, I think a lot of this in the third quarter, some in the fourth, LeBron, no, it was in the fourth. LeBron kept finding Vanderbilt 
um, on cuts. Yes. And I think Rui did one too. So, and I was like, and my angle, I'm on the other side of the court and I'm, when I'm watching it live like that, I can't see where it's coming from. So like what was happening? How was he doing that? And, and is, is this like a play or is this just something that was working and they kept going to it? Our cutting has gotten exponentially better. Uh, this is a big part of my enthusiasm of, of where the offense has gone. We actually got to wrap up here. So uh, this will be a topic that we continue on either either tomorrow or, or back on Monday. Okay, but, but tell me tell me after we press the stop button because I need to you, know It right sounds now. good. Sounds good. You'll get the sneak, pre- sneak preview. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, good win. We'll be back either tomorrow or on Monday. Uh, Lakers win four out of six, back to 500. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.